those who have faith in Christ are placed in Christ. Your body of sin and your sin is placed in Christ. It was nailed to the cross. All of your things that happened in your body that were sinful were nailed to the cross with Christ and destroyed. Romans chapter 6, just read that. The body of sin was buried with Christ and it was destroyed. And now you walk in newness of life because Christ rose from the dead and is alive and is ascended unto the Father and your life is hidden with Him in God. That's why His life saves you. So His death takes care of the obstacle. His life brings you to heaven with Him and to fellowship with the Father. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for February 17th, 2019. Today, Brother Omar brings us part one of this message called Statement of Faith, Doctrine of Resurrection. Now, Brother Omar reminds us how the resurrection of Christ frees us from sin. He teaches us that when Jesus died on the cross, the ordinances of the law were nailed to the cross with him. Now, Brother Omar also reminds us that when we are in Christ, death and sin no longer has a hold of us. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. We're back with our regular programming here. We've been talking about the doctrine of salvation and we've been talking about the atonement because that's where Paul begins in discussing salvation because if you look at 1 Corinthians 15 when the Apostle Paul tells us what the gospel is, he begins with telling us that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So we talked about what that means for us that Christ died for our sin. We talked about substitution, we talked about you know the, the whole issue of the legal aspect of his death, etc. But today we're going to talk about another aspect of our salvation and the death of Christ, which is resurrection, which is often unfortunately overlooked or not emphasized. When we think of the gospel, we don't think of the resurrection, right? We think Christ died for your sins, you believe and you get saved. But we leave the whole other half of the gospel. We don't emphasize it. And the Apostle Paul is clear when he says that the resurrection is very important as in regards to your salvation. Okay? So, we also interacted a little bit with Reformed theology or Calvinism. Some of you had a really good time during those uh, sermons in dealing with the whole issue of Reformed theology and their understanding of the atonement as being limited only to the elect, okay, or to a uh, pre-chosen or select group of people from the foundation of the world, etc. So we interacted a little bit with that issue. We believe, or at least I believe, the Bible teaches that Christ died for all men with the intent to save all men and uh, that his atonement secures a salvation for all men. Now, one of the reasons why I believe this, and this is going to sound to a lot of people, this is not going to sound good, but I believe that the death of Christ in and of itself does not save anybody. Okay? The death of Christ, just Christ dying for sins, does not save anybody. Now, I need to show you that from Scripture so you don't think I'm some heretic who made that up, okay? So in 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to go there. We're going to sort of read through these verses where the Apostle Paul is explaining his understanding of the gospel. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, 
Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, it's very important for Paul to make note of the fact that the death of Christ happened in accordance with the Scriptures. And the reason being is Paul being a Jew and having an understanding of the Old Testament, Paul knows that there are these series of verses in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah dying, right? He was bruised for our iniquities, etc. They pierced him, etc. You see, you find all throughout the Old Testament in Zechariah and Isaiah, all these verses that talk about the Messiah dying. So Paul says that those verses and those scriptures refer to Christ. So Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. First of all, he is saying that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical event. In other words, this actually did happen. Okay? Christ physically died. He didn't die metaphorically. He didn't die, you know, uh, spiritually, but he died physically. He physically died. There was a body, there was a corpse that they had to drag out, and they had to bury him, and they were people who saw this, and then he walked out of the tomb one day, and there was 500 people who saw this whole thing, okay? Some of them are still alive. You can talk to them and interview them, and some of them have died. They're falling asleep, okay? Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But the grace of God... But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, that it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. This is Paul's bragging, okay? All right? By the grace of God, I am what I am, but I work really hard, harder than anybody, but I, it wasn't really me, it was God through me, though I worked harder, but it was God, okay? Which is it? Yes to all of it, Okay? All right, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and also you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed or raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise. If it's true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain and you're still in your sins. Furthermore, he goes on to say, then those also who have fallen asleep, that is, they have died in Christ, have perished if Christ has not been raised from the dead, meaning the death of Christ alone is not what saves you. What saves you is that he died for your sins, but that he was buried and he walked out of the tomb. That's what saves us, okay? 
And so the atonement can be unlimited and universal to all men. Because the atonement is Christ dying. Christ's death was for all men. But not all men will be saved. Because not all men receive the resurrection along with Christ. Not all men are going to be raised from the dead because in order to be raised from the dead, you have to appropriate that by faith in Christ Jesus. So it is His life that saves you. His death takes out the obstacle that you had between you and God. Let's look at the scriptures. Okay? Romans chapter 5, verse 10. He says this, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. This is the same writer. This is the Apostle Paul. He says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So, we were enemies of God. Okay? There was an enmity between God and man. You in your sin, had a problem with God. Humanity had an issue with God. We sin, we transgress the law, the law is broken, a penalty needs to be put in place in order to punish the sin, because God is holy. We talked all about that before, right? So, God does a work of reconciliation, okay? So, the reconciliation was done by the death of Christ, okay? Christ, mankind, had a problem with God. This problem, this obstacle is removed by the cross or by the death of Christ. But it's His life that actually saves us, okay? We know that by one man sin entered the world, the Bible says, and death by sin. Sin, which is the transgression of the law, incurs a penalty, and that penalty is what? Death. The wages of sin is Death, okay? The soul that sins shall die. Okay? So we have two problems. We have a legal problem, which is sin. Okay? The law says, do this, don't do that. You transgress the law, you sin, you incur a penalty, which is death. Okay? Simple as that. So you got two problems. This broke you away from God, the result of which is death. Okay? So you have a legal aspect, and you have an actual aspect of life, okay? Both of these things need to be dealt with, okay? And so, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and on circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of dead that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. So God forgives all trespasses by canceling the record of dead that we had. We transgress this law. There's a stamp that says he's transgressed the law. He incurs the penalty. There's a record. Now you have a debt with God. God took that, puts it in Christ, nails it to the cross, and kills him with him. He sets aside your 
the legal demand that is against your life. See, there is a warrant out for you. And there is a warrant out for you, which is canceled when it's put in Christ and is nailed to the cross. That's called reconciliation. Okay? So God did this for whom? Let's keep reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting or imputing their sins against them, but entrusting us the message of reconciliation. So Christ does a work on the cross that reconciles humanity to God. So you have man, that's you right there, okay? Oh, that's kind of Ray, Ray's, Ray's hair, okay? And then you have God here, okay? And you have an obstacle. The obstacle is removed, and now the two things come together. There's a reconciliation that happens. The Bible teaches, if we are to believe the Bible, that God did that for the whole world, for every human being, and that God is not counting their sins against them. That right now, as we speak, during this period, God is not counting people's sins against them. He's not killing them the first time they sin. He's not holding the penalty of the law against them. But because of Christ and for the sake of Christ, God has reconciled the world to himself. Okay? And so, the death of Christ takes care of the legal aspect. Okay? He sets aside the punishment by his death on the cross. This is the message of reconciliation, that because of Christ, now God stretches his hand towards a sinful world and does not bring judgment upon them, okay? So, if this happened for the whole world, why do some people perish? Now, you remember in Reformed theology, if Christ died for you, you're saved. You will be saved. At some point, eventually, you will be saved which is why they believe Christ did not die for the whole world. He only died for the people whom he's going to save. Okay? So, why do people then perish, okay, if God has done this work of reconciliation? Well, Matthew 23, 37. Okay, now you, you guys remember we talked about the two wills, the doctrine of two wills, two wills of God. Well, there is a biblical doctrine of two wills, and it's right here in this verse. Matthew 23, 37. Jesus, this is Jesus, says this. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you, have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing See for your house is left to you desolate, for I will tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So, Jesus said, how often would, or I would, but you were not willing. There's two wills right there. The will of God 
and the will of man. God was willing, but they were not. So they perish, as Hebrews 3 says, you see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Belief and faith it was, it's what appropriates the atonement to you. Faith does not save you, okay? Faith is not the grounds of your salvation. You are not saved because you have faith. God is the one who saves you. His death, burial, and resurrection is the grounds of your salvation. Faith is a condition that God, in His sovereign wisdom, has decided to be the condition by which He saves people. You don't get saved because you have faith. You get saved because God saves you. But He has chosen to save those who believe. So you cannot save yourself. You cannot wish yourself into salvation. You cannot decide to save yourself. But you can say to God, I cannot save myself. And God says, I know, but I can save you. And faith is what reaches out and grabs that salvation. Okay? So those who perish, perish because of unbelief. So by his death, we have the hope of our sins forgiven and the penalty being set aside. But by his resurrection, we have the hope and certainty of eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Paul says this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, or first Christ, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So who is going to be made alive? Those who belong to Christ. So the scripture teaches that the atonement is unlimited and universal, but eternal life and the resurrection is limited only to those who believe. Okay? So atonement for everybody, salvation only for the elect. Amen? Amen? For the elect. There are elect people out there. Okay? We're getting there. We're getting there. All right? We're going to talk about election, not today, later. But we will. Okay. Those who belong to Christ, the Bible calls these the elect, are the only ones who share the resurrection and eternal life. John chapter 14, verse 18 says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world would not see me anymore. Meaning, I'm going to die. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Because I live, you will live also. Okay? Only those who belong to Christ will share in His resurrection. The way that we get life is because we are alive in His life. Okay? Remember the story of Lazarus. You know, let me go there. John, is it John 11? John 11. You guys know the story. Lazarus dies. Jesus shows up, and verse 17 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained 
seated in the house, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Martha stops Jesus or runs out to Jesus and says, listen, if you would have been here, you could have healed my brother before he passed away. You could have just... He wouldn't have to die. And Jesus tells him, well, your brother's going to rise again. And she says to him, well, I know because I'm a good Jewish woman and I've been to Sunday school and they teach us about the resurrection. Okay? There's going to be a resurrection. God is going to raise everybody. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the thing that the doctrine points to. You believe in the doctrine of the resurrection, I am that thing that the doctrine is teaching you. I am the resurrection. He who believes in me, though he die, will live. Because there will be a life in me. Okay? So Christ is the resurrection. And those who are in Christ will see life because he is life. Now you remember, Christ had a body. body was buried. Remember that? And it was, the body walked out of that tomb. Now Christ ascends unto heaven and he still has a body. And his body has members. And the members of that body is who? Those who believe in him. So those who believe in him share with him the life and death that he suffered. Okay? So, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. says this, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed so that we will no longer be slave to sin for anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul is saying Christ died to sin and he's alive unto righteousness. So when you are saved, God takes you and puts you in the body of Christ and like Christ's body, you die and you also resurrect. You are alive in Him. You say to yourself, how does that happen? I say to you, faith. When you're saved and you're in Christ, you're literally in Him. You're placed in Him. And the death that He died and the life that He lives, you live in Him because you're in Him. Though you're here, okay? Here's something that's going to make a lot of sense. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1, this is what Paul tells the people at Colossae. He tells them this, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. So this is what he says. You have been raised with Christ. Okay? Seek the things that are above where Christ is. So you have been raised with Christ, but then he tells you, seek the things that are above. So even though you have been raised with Christ, you're still here and you're supposed to seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, where you're at, for you have died and your life is hidden with God. Okay, so you're here, but you're above with Christ, but seek the things of Christ, even though you're here, don't focus on the things here, because your life is with God, but you're here seeking the things that are above. And then he says, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, because he's not here yet, though you are with him, but you're here, then you will also appear with him in glory. So are we here or are we there? Yes. Okay? Yes. Because your life is in Christ. And he died. And when he died, you died. And when he lives, you will live. And his life is what's going to save you. So, how does this make sense, okay? Our redemption and our adoption is in the future. We know that, okay? The Bible teaches that. Our adoption and our redemption is coming. Our bodies will be glorified when that's coming. Okay, that's not here. Yet, listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, what he says. Romans chapter 8, verse 23, he says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so has that happened? No, he's waiting eagerly for it. Okay, for in this hope, we are saved. Okay, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope, for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. Okay? So he's just given us a description of what faith is. We do not see it, but we believe it and live as if it was a reality, even though it's not, because it is. Okay? Because faith is the what? Remember that verse? The substance of things hoped for. We are saved by hope. Paul says, we are saved by believing that our things that are, even though we don't see them, there are. That is why salvation is by faith, because you're believing something. You're believing that you're seated at the right hand of God with Christ in him. Okay? And those who are in Christ will receive the life that he's going to get. As simple as that. That's how we are saved by his life. So, again... To whom does this apply? To those who have faith in Him. Those who have faith in Christ are placed in Christ. Your body of sin and your sin is placed in Christ. It was nailed to the cross. All of your things that happened in your body that were sinful were nailed to the cross with Christ and destroyed. Romans chapter 6, just read that. 
The body of sin was buried with Christ and it was destroyed. And now you walk in newness of life because Christ rose from the dead and is alive and is ascended unto the Father and your life is hidden with Him in God. Okay? That's why His life saves you. So His death takes care of the obstacle. His life brings you to heaven with Him and to fellowship with the Father. Okay? The Bible teaches... Again, the atonement was made for the whole world. The salvation is only for the elect. Okay? The elect. How much can I get into the election today? How much do you think? Q&A maybe? I don't know. (laughs) The elect are those people who are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Okay? That's the elect. You and I and anybody who is saved, is chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. All right? The Scripture teaches that. Furthermore, the Scripture teaches that those who are in Christ were predestined. So election and predestination are Bible doctrines. Right? People ask me, do you believe in election predestination or you believe in free will? And I say to them, yes. <laughs> Did not know that we're supposed to separate those. Okay? People say Arminians do not believe in predestination. Calvinists do. No. Everybody believes in election and predestination. Okay? We understand it differently, but we all believe it. No, the elect, the Bible is clear, are those who are in Christ. However you came into that category of in Christ, you will receive the blessings that he receives. And the life that he receives. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1. Amen. Take a look at this. It's worn out. It's all marked. All right. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Where are we at? We're in heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be Holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him. Notice the emphasis, in him, in him, over and over again. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the doctrine of resurrection, you need to, when you... Think of the doctrine of the resurrection. You need to understand that this happens all in him because he has a body and his body has received life and blessings. And those who are, you know, when you're blessed, when you're blessed, your hand is blessed, right? <laughs> like if you're broke, right, and you're living in, in the streets and then somebody gives you a mansion, you don't leave your hand and your feet in the streets, Right? And you just go to the mansion. You, everything comes with you because you're one person. Like when Olu walked in earlier, you didn't say, hey, Olu's head. How are you? 
right? You say, hey, Olu, because the whole thing is Olu, okay? Christ has a body, and that body is the church, and we're members of the church. The genuine believers are members of his body. Now, I am not saying that the church is Christ, okay? I'm not saying that. But the way that the Bible understands the church is that there is, in a sense, a way in which we are all in Him. And if you're in Him, you're receiving the things that He receives. I am divine. You are the branches. You get life from me. So His life is what saves us. His life, His eternal life is our eternal life. That's how you make it to heaven. You will not make it to heaven on your own. We have this idea that when we go die and we go to heaven, we're just going to walk up there and be like, hey, ding dong, it's me. And they open the doors and we walk in. No, we'll make it to heaven in his body. In fact, we are in heaven. We are seated in heavenly places, the Bible says. Because that's where he's at. That's where we're at. That's where our brothers who died before us are now at also. And we are with them and they're with us. Okay? I don't see that you say that's the point of faith. That's why he says you hope for the things that you don't see. That's what the Bible means when it says we walk by faith and not by sight. It doesn't mean that you lay hands on a car Right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about walking by faith is that you believe these things that you don't see as if they were true because they are true. So that's the basis of our Christian living. That's why this is really important. Because when it comes to dealing with sin, there's one chapter in the Bible without which we would not even understand sanctification. And it's Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul begins by saying, listen, you get up every day, you pray. No. He says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Because your body was crucified with him and destroyed. Your whole body of sin was destroyed. Romans chapter 6. Let me read it so I can quote it correctly. This is, this is Romans chapter 6. This is the sanctification. This is, I'm struggling with sin in my life. How do I deal with that? Romans chapter sin, a 6 says, What shall we say? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, Paul, I'm struggling with sin. Okay, before you get into some Christian discipline, you get this right first in your mind, is that you were buried with him in baptism unto his death. And then he goes on to say, For if we, verse 5, have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed so that we no longer be slave to sin. For one who has died has been free from sin. Simple as that. 
You can bring whatever temptation you want to a corpse. You can go to a cemetery. You can bring, I don't know, a stripper or whatever, or beer or weed to a corpse, and the corpse is just going like, to lay there. He's not going to do anything. So Paul says, you begin, this whole journey of sanctification begins by you understanding that you are in Christ. So your old life dies, and then you're now alive in Him. And His life is your salvation. Okay? He goes on to say, verse 8, If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once and for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. See that? Do you say this hasn't happened? I say, yes, it has. <laughs> How do you know that? Because faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's faith. You walk by faith and not by sight. That's why. That is the life of the Christian, is a life of faith. Now notice that he says, I wasn't going to get into this, but I am. He says that um, you're not under the law, but under grace. What does that mean? How am I not under the law? Well, simply this. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says this, Do you not know, my brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding only on a person as long as he lives? A married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if he, her husband dies, then she is released from the law by, of, of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. So Paul is saying this is how law works. If you're alive, okay, you're bound by the law. The law will follow you, and whatever transgressions you commit will follow you up until the point that you die. After that, you... Police don't go to cemeteries to arrest people. I don't know if, well, maybe they do in some weird places, but in normal places, you don't see cops going to the cemeteries and just putting, you know, like cufflings or whatever on a corpse and dragging them out. You don't see that because they're dead, all right? So Paul says the law has, will follow you up until the point that you die, okay? Likewise, my brothers, verse 4, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which was held, cap held as captives, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul is saying you were bound by the law 
And while you were under the law, you were subject to the passions that were aroused from the law. He goes on to explain what that means. Verse 9, he says, I was once alive apart from the law. When the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Every commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it, it killed me. Because the law is holy, holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That which is good bring death to me by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Meaning, Paul saying, the way that I understood my sinfulness and how my sinfulness became worse is that the commandment came and killed me. It showed me my sinfulness. I did not know sin but by the law. When the law came into his life, then the increase of guilt began to happen. And this spiral of sin and law and sin and law and sin and law began to happen in the life of Paul. Guilt begins to happen. Defeat begins to happen. So Paul finds himself into this position that the law was killing him by the commandment. Chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus... For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? Romans chapter 7. What's the law of life? It's Romans chapter 8. It's the life of Christ. So, God takes care of your law problem by putting you in Christ, in His body. And His Christ was nailed to the cross. And in that cross, His body was destroyed, then it was buried, and it came alive. And so you are in Him now, meaning your body was placed in His body by faith, if you believe this, and is destroyed, and now you are alive in newness of life. So you no longer serve the law because it killed you, but you serve Christ in a newness of life. Paul says, that's how we get holy and righteous. Before he even gets, what is it, Romans chapter 13 or 12, where he begins to tell you what to do, practical things. Okay, you get to that, but before you get to that, you need to get to this first. You hear sermons about how to overcome things or sins in our lives, and it's usually like uh, things that you do, it's law. It's not going to do anything. It's going to put you back into here. You got to get yourself dead first and then alive in Christ. And then in that newness of life, you serve God. And with that life that he gives you, then you do the other spiritual disciplines. Okay? So that is what the Bible means when it refers to his life as saving us. His life saves us because we're alive with him. Okay? So in our gospel proclamation, a lot of times we're focusing on the death of Christ, which is great. I'm not belittling it, okay? The death of Christ is equally as important as his life because with his death, we have the hope that our sins are going to be forgiven, okay? But with his life, we have the hope of eternal life that is in him and also the hope of even our life today that is in him, okay? And even then, we have a hope because the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that death could not contain him. Let me look at that verse. Acts 2.22. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So death could not contain Jesus because death cannot contain God because he's too life for death. Okay, so the Bible says you killed him and you buried him, but death couldn't hold him down, so he walks out of the tomb because he's too much for death. So in doing that, he defeats death. And in defeating death, he brings life. Okay, and so Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, where we were at. He says this. Verse 22, but each in his own order, first Christ, okay, so Christ is resurrected, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. For he must reign, so right now he's reigning, until he puts all of his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things under, are put in his subjection, it is plain that he is expected to put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. So this is how this is going to pan out. He resurrects from the death. All right? Then those who belong to him resurrect with him then he is reigning and he must reign until all of his enemies are put under his feet, the last of which is going to be death, okay? So one, one day, death will no longer exist. Why? Because Christ defeated death. And those who are in him have defeated death with him, okay? So that's why Paul says in verse 54, he says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. So the law is the power of sin because you're sinful and the law is good and accuses you and accuses you. It gives you a penalty. The penalty is death. Christ comes, takes the written ordinances of the law, nails him to the cross, he dies, kills you with him on the cross, he comes alive, you're alive with him, you're no longer under the law, which is what kills you, now you're under Christ who gives you life, and therefore death has no victory over you whatsoever. So when you die, if you're in Christ, when you die, death has no hold on you the way that he, it didn't have on him. That's why Paul there was an occasion when Paul is sitting before the governors and he's being accused of something. And Paul simply says to him, listen, if it, sh if it shows that I broke the law, I have no problem with you putting me to death. 
That's what Paul says to this man. He says, I'm the king, I'm, the, I'm here, I'm the governor here. I'm representing the Roman Empire, which is like the America of the day. This is the most powerful military place, bases all over the place. And this guy says, I can put you to death because they're accusing you of doing this. And he said, well, if it's proven, where is it? I'll go down, you can kill me. Can you imagine a governor who intimidates people with death every day is standing before this Jewish guy, and the Jewish guy is like, okay, where's the guillotine? Because I'm not afraid to die. So if you can show me that I have done something wrong and the death penalty is, is the punishment, where is it? Because I know when I die, I'm going to live even though I die. See? Because my Redeemer lives and I live with Him. Okay? So His life is your salvation and it's appropriated by faith, by hope. You're saved by hope, by things that you do not see. And I love it how Paul says, if you can see it, then it's not hope. <laughs> one day, we're not going to need faith. One day, we're not going to have faith. Because one day, we're going to see him face to face. One day, we're going to walk with him. One day, he's going to be there. But till then, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so, the atonement, again... Christ died for the sins of the whole world, but he lives only for those who believe in him, a.k.a. to make Pastor Bolden happy, the elect of God. Amen? <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your life. We thank you, Lord, that you defeated death, Lord, that you reigned over it, that you have victory over it, that it cannot hold you or contain you, Lord. And we thank you that... We are in you, Lord, and you are in us, Lord, and you give us life through your life, Lord. I pray that you may help us as we read your word, have faith on this, Lord, that we may uh, have a faith that is always increasing, Lord, always knowing that you, the things that you say in your word are true for us, Lord, that your promises are yea and amen to us, O oh Lord, and we thank you. We thank you for your word that teaches all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.